Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Glow Up podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Jojo. I'm Jackie. And I'm April. Hi, everyone. This is present day Jojo. We recorded this episode way earlier this year when we were still remote and a resume. As a result, the quality isn't too perfect, but the topic of our first generation identities and how connected or rather not connected we feel to our cultures and native languages still resonates with us. We hope you enjoy. So April's Chinese, Jackie's Chinese Vietnamese, and I'm Korean. We were all born in the States and are first generation Asian Americans. So I grew up in Katy, Texas, which is a part of Houston, Texas. And I would say it's a majority white, but all throughout my life, I attended a Korean church and attended Korean school. So I would say I felt connected to my culture to that extent. I have cousins who came to America in high school and lived with me for a bit. So that also helped me practice speaking my native language with them. But I would say throughout high school, I was probably always seen as a Twinkie or a banana, as people call it. And on Urban Dictionary, that's defined as an Asian who is yellow on the outside, but white on the inside. My first boyfriend in high school was a white dude. So I think I just kind of lived life knowing that I am an Asian person, but just being so influenced by American culture and wanting to live that so badly. What about you guys? Yeah, so I'm originally from Southern California, Orange County. I was born in the very Asian populated area of Westminster and Garden Grove. So I was surrounded by a lot of Asians and I felt that growing in such an Asian populated area that like I wanted to reject my culture kind of. I wanted to become more Americanized, I guess, which makes me so sad to say because I I kept rejecting my culture to the point where like I didn't want to learn the language. I didn't want to learn about the history. And then now looking back at it, I feel so regretful because now when trying to speak to my grandparents or even dig into those depths of learning about my culture and building those relationships with my family, like I'm not able to do that. And now I feel like I'm taking more of an effort to kind of learn more about my history. I want to go back to visit the homeland and uh, learn more my parents came from and all that stuff. Wait, so Jackie, did you not have a lot of Asian friends? Surprisingly, a lot of my friends were white and I did have a lot of Asian friends, but the thing is like, I could not connect with them the same way. I was known to be someone who got along with both the Asians and both the white people because I felt like I kind of mixed them both. But when I do recognize myself, I don't even correlate to both cultures now. Like, I feel like I'm still trying to identify that. Yeah, I I know what you mean by feeling like you kind of don't belong to either part of you. Mm -hmm. How would you say your connection to your culture is? So growing up in Oakland, and I guess just the East Bay in general, everything was super diverse. So throughout all of my schooling, I would say that I never really felt like I stood out as a Chinese American. I know that a lot of people have stories about, oh, like, It was me and one other Asian girl in my entire school, and that just really wasn't my experience. I would say that growing up, I was always exposed to all kinds of cultures and all kinds of people and races. And even when I went to university, it was very, very Asian. If anything, I became less of a minority in a way, even though the little town that UC San Diego was in, La Jolla, was very white um, and very conservative. It was just or bubble within this space that was more liberal and more diverse. My school probably had around a 60% Asian population. In addition to all of this, I grew up living with my grandparents. They immigrated to America when I was 
four years old and you know they've been taking care of me basically ever since my grandparents and my parents don't speak english even to this day they've just never really had to learn they've mostly worked in chinatowns and were mostly around other asian people so because of this i actually speak cantonese pretty fluently since it's the only way that i can really communicate with them Yeah, I think it was very interesting for me because even my high school, I would say, is 90% Asian. But I think just being surrounded by so many, it's like, I want to be different, like not merge into the whole crowd kind of feeling. And that made me kind of reject all my Asian culture. Taking Chinese classes as a kid, even then, I was like, I don't want to learn this. Why do I need this? And then now growing up, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to realize like, why my, my parents put me in the classes. And I just wish that, you know, I took more of an effort to kind of really get in touch with my culture instead of trying to reject it because in the end it didn't do anything for me. So why do you think you felt the need to reject that Asian side of you? Do you feel like it was something to be embarrassed about or was it just something that you had no interest in? I think I was more so embarrassed in Southern California. Everyone puts big image on just Western culture and being American. So it's like, Why should I connect to my culture if that's not the thing in America? Being Asian in America is not something that people kind of, what do you call it? Glorify? Yeah, yeah. People don't glorify it or people don't make it sound like it's so amazing. So I'm like, oh, why do I want to be Asian when I can be more American? And that's what gets all the attention and all that. Yeah, it's really, really sad to think about how, I guess the ways that I rejected my culture when I was growing up, for example, I loved eating dinner at my white friends' homes because I thought it was so cool that their parents would make like lasagna or burgers. Because I guess just growing up always eating Korean food, which now I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, that's a great ass childhood. You're eating this great authentic Korean food. Like, why wouldn't you love that? And obviously now I feel completely different. I'll eat kimchi every meal. But back then it was just kind of fun to go over and be like, oh, they're making spaghetti and meatballs tonight. Like, I definitely want to stay over for dinner. So. <laughs> it was just really weird just thinking about where my mind was back then right and like even throughout all of middle school and high school I was in orchestra and that was very much like an Asian thing to do and I just remember being so ashamed none of my friends I hung out with were in orchestra and I would go to school an hour early just so I could carry my instrument in and no one else would see me. That's how ashamed I was of being able to play an instrument, guys. And like now I obviously flaunt it. I'm like, I can play five instruments. But back then, it just wasn't the cool thing to be into. So I definitely tried to hide that side of me. How proficient are you guys in your native languages? Like I mentioned earlier, I would say that I speak Cantonese pretty fluently since it was really just how I communicated with my family. And then also when I was in university, I did take four quarters of Mandarin as a GE requirement. I really loved it because growing up, I did go to Chinese school and I did not learn anything at all. It was a complete waste of time and money. And it really took me going to university and speaking it every single day for the most part, as opposed to just that three-hour lesson every Saturday for me to really start learning. Also, as a kid, when your parents make you sign up for these classes, you kind of take them for granted. You don't look at it as, oh, wow, I would love to learn the side of me, my culture, and be able to con communicate with more people. It's more so, oh, now I have more homework. 
the only positive from this whole thing is being able to see some friends and things like that. But when I was in university, obviously I wanted those good grades, but it was also like, wow, what if I wanted to go to Asia after graduating and find a job there or something like that? So now it's been a few years since taking those classes and my Mandarin is definitely nowhere near as good as it was when I was in college. Jackie and I actually talked about this before too, before this whole COVID situation. Um, we were actually thinking about taking Mandarin classes together in Manhattan. April, I can see you thriving in Asia. <laughs> I know. I want to go so badly. <laughs> I would say my proficiency is very, very, maybe even worse than a kindergarten level. <laughs> it's very, very bad. I only know enough to like get me to talk to my grandparents at a surface level area and maybe, you know, order some dim sum and <laughs> all of that. Didn't your parents not differentiate between the two languages they speak when they were teaching you growing up? So that's the one thing is that I grew up in a mixed culture household, so half Chinese, half Viet. I spoke a lot of Cantonese to my grandparents, but I did talk to some other relatives and Vietnamese as well. So I kind of mixed them both. The thing is that they would teach me word and phrases. So I know what they were, but they didn't tell me which language that was. So I knew how to greet my relatives and I knew how to order certain foods and stuff like that. It's just, I knew what it was and how to say it, but I didn't know if it was Chinese or Viet. So sometimes like I'll be talking, even to April, I'll be talking to her and I will say like a Viet word thinking it is Cantonese. She's like, what are you saying? And I'm like, oh, you know, this is whatever. Yeah. Um, she's like, no, no, I don't, that's not Cantonese. Like, I don't know what language you're speaking. And I'm like, oh God, I think that's a Viet word. Yeah, I remember that one time we went to, um, what's that place called? It's like Kung Fu ramen or something if you look it up um you'll see it but we were we had a random dinner I don't remember how it came up but we started talking about how to say numbers in Chinese and Vietnamese oh yeah and then Jackie was saying how the way she said it she didn't realize that it was wrong but she would say the first <laughs> five numbers in Cantonese and and then the last five numbers in Mandarin Mandarin yeah when we were having that conversation it was so funny because I was dying and we were at those tables where we had to like share it with another person and that guy was just eating by himself <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he was just listening to us being like what the fuck are they talking about <laughs> Jackie I'm I'm there with you though because I can't count to 10 fully in Korean I have to really think about it really I'm sure there's people who watch k-dramas out there who aren't even Korean who can count to 10 and for me I have to think about it I'm like Shit, what comes uh, after eight? In my defense, I can speak fluently. I can understand fluently. I'll mix up some words. Like my brother the other night, he said something was hot, but he meant to say it was like hot outside. But he, the way he was saying it, it was just wrong. And we were all laughing at him, but he didn't understand. So sometimes I do that too. But otherwise, I'm pretty proficient. It's just the numbers kind of trip me up. When I was younger, my parents would only speak Korean to me growing up. So I would say Korean was my first language, you know, but... I just think of the time when I was doing show and tell in first grade and I had just gone on a family trip to Las Vegas and I had all these really cute photos of me and my family like outside of just iconic Las Vegas buildings and I put them all on a board and I like, glued them up there and then I go to the front of the class and I'm showing them my awesome vacation I just went on and then the whole time I'm like yeah my trip to Las Vegas and my teacher was like, where did you go? And everyone was like, what is Lhasa Vegasu? And I just was like, guys, what do you mean? The pictures are here. What do you not understand? And my teacher was like, Las Vegas? 
if that doesn't tell you how it was just growing up in a mixed language household. <laughs> it's funny to hear you say it in Korean though, because in Chinese it's uh, Lasi Vegasi, so it's something. <laughs> you know, when I was taking Mandarin classes, I don't know why our teacher taught us this, but we learned how to say different popular like chain restaurants in Chinese. This well, this was Mandarin, <laughs> not Cantonese, but for example, Starbucks is a uh, Xingbake. Like it sounds like it, but not really. <laughs> I feel like when I speak to my grandparents and I don't know how to say it in Cantonese or like Vietnamese, then I will say it in an Asian accent. I'm like, oh, like, let's go to McDonald's, you know, like, hoping <laughs> that they understand, but like, I have no basis. Question, do your parents get confused when you say Chick-fil-A versus Chipotle? Or is that just mine? My brother and I, they asked us what we wanted for lunch the other day. We said Chick-fil-A, like chicken nuggets. And then they brought back Chipotle. Oh. <laughs> and like that's, that happens all the time to the point where I'm like Mexican versus American chicken. I have a funny story. Of, this is me as a kid and having very terrible, still not fluent in language. And to poop, I think, is, correct me if I'm wrong, April, but it's like, oh, see. So I was with my grandparents and had this little horse growing up that I would always play with. We left our house and I was like oh no we left the horse so I kept telling my grandpa like like horsey horsey we gotta go back see I didn't know how to talk to him but the only word I knew was horsey and he thought I was saying horsey so he drives all the way back home and he's gonna lead me back to get the horse but he leads me to the bathroom he's like you know go do whatever you need to do and I'm like no no what do you mean I'm looking for the horse how old are you oh god I was maybe like seven or eight or so. So do you remember this from your point of view or do your grandparents talk about this to you? They, they talk about it all the time. Like, <laughs> Yeah, because they know like how bad I am with languages. <laughs> so did you grow up with grandparents and do you still see them often now? Yeah, so I actually grew up living with them. And funny enough, when the house next door opened up, my parents bought that house. So I live right next to my grandparents, which is kind of amazing. Since I grew up with my Chinese grandparents and speaking Cantonese to them more often than I did on my Viet side, I would say I'm more in tune with my Chinese culture, actually. Well, I also grew up with my grandparents, and they actually don't speak Cantonese. They speak their specific dialect. Uh, so my family is from Taishan, Toisan, and they speak, I guess I would call it Taishanese in English. And I actually never realized that too. Similar to how, you know, Jackie, you never had Chinese and Vietnamese differentiated to you growing up. So I never realized until kind of recently, actually, that my grandparents don't speak Cantonese. They're speaking Taishanese to me. I understand it. I don't speak it. I've never had to learn or communicate to them in Taishanese because, you know, it's a dialect. So like in the outside world, I guess, you never really need to speak it that often. But at home, they would always speak Taishanese to me, and then I would respond back in Cantonese. I feel really grateful to have grown up with them and also able to communicate with them because they, I think, instilled speaking Chinese at home so much growing up. And another way that I felt pretty connected to my Chinese culture is that growing up, my mom worked in Oakland, Chinatown, and my brother and I spent every single Saturday in Chinatown for, I want to say, like 10 plus years, basically from when I was really, really young up until I graduated high school. I always took different kinds of lessons in Chinatown. So every Saturday in the morning, it was Chinese school. I had dance class and I had, and it was a traditional Chinese dance class too. <laughs> and then after that, I went to Brainchild, which is like a Kumon. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but took math lessons. Oh yeah, I did Kumon for 10 years as well. Same. 
it wasn't the full 10 years on and off. I did these classes for the majority of them. And then also I did piano lessons. I did art lessons. I did calligraphy, like private Chinese lessons. Just anything and everything that was available in Chinatown, I probably did it. <laughs> and you know, this was my life. And just being in Chinatown so much and so often made me exposed to more things too. Like whether it was just, you know, eating lunch at that new Chinese restaurant or that pho place or whatever, I was always around it. And even when I was just hanging out all day at my mom's office and just like waiting for her to get off work, you know, I would see like how she interacts with her clients. And, you know, she mostly had immigrant clients. That was just like the nature of her work. So it was really interesting to also hear from my mom, like these people's stories too. So April, you kind of embrace your culture from the beginning but Jojo when was that point for you to relook at your culture and be like I want to kind of dig deeper into it and learn more about it I feel like for me that wasn't until I got to college so UT Austin has over 50,000 students and that's just a lot of people so in my first semester of college we have things called spirit groups and it's kind of like Greek but it's not Greek it's pretty much like being in a sorority, but less serious. I remember joining one called Texas Lassos and I loved it, but it was also very diverse and not just not just Asian people, not just white people. It was kind of a little bit of everyone. And then simultaneously that semester, I also joined an Asian sorority. So I think that that was kind of when I realized, oh, I click really well with these Asian people. And it's also when I kind of realized, oh, being Asian is awesome. Being a part of all these multicultural clubs, even like FSA and all that, I was getting more and more exposed to different types of cultures as well. And I think that's when I started to really embrace it and kind of fall back in love with everything that's associated with being Asian, whether it's the food, the culture, all the different languages and all the like fashion styles and everything. That's also when I started asking my parents more about how they got to America and just more background on my family in general. Uh, Jojo, I went through the same exact thing as you. When I first went to college, I started to join a lot of multicultural groups like VSA and CSA and discovering that that kind of helped me tie my connection into my culture, allowing to learn more about it and meet other people who are Asian as well and kind of see their connection to their culture. And that made me realize like, oh, I really want to learn more about this, but also how easy it was to make friends who were Asian as well. And I started to realize like, these are my, my people, you know, like they get my same struggles. They share the same likes and interests. And I found so many similarities and I'm like, I can't believe I kept rejecting my culture, but in reality, now I'm so happy that I kind of rediscovered it in college. And now taking more of an effort to really just rediscover that next year or so too. I want to travel and go back to the homeland and really learn more about like where my parents came from and, and how I can give back as well. And April, didn't you travel to Asia recently too? Yeah, I went to Japan and Korea this past October before everything went down. So I feel really, really lucky that, you know, my family and I were able to go do that. It was my first time in both countries. I had been to Asia before specifically China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. So that was my first non, like, I guess, Chinese-speaking Asian country that I went to. So growing up, my family never really traveled. We didn't really have the means or the time to. But I did go to Asia when I was really, really young. When I was one, when I was three, and then when I was five. So obviously, I did not remember anything from those experiences. So you know, growing up, you know, in high school, I didn't really consider didn't have any memories of Asia, so it didn't really feel like I've ever been, you know? But then the summer after my first year of college, my mom went back to China for the first time 
in like 10 years, 10 plus years at that point. And I went with her. It was so fun. We went back to her childhood home in Taishan and like just saw everything, went to Hong Kong. It was amazing. I loved it so much. We also went to Taiwan for a week. And you know, like I said, I ever really felt super disconnected from my Asian culture or anything. But, you know, like being Asian American at the end of the day is always going to be very, very different from being Asian in an Asian country, you know? So I just kind of fell in love with it. And then throughout college, I basically tried to find the opportunity to go back whenever I could. So I think I went back to Hong Kong probably like two or three more times throughout college. And it was just something that I really, really looked forward to because, you know, I could see some family and eat some really, really amazing food. I mean, to be honest, that's my main motivator. <laughs> yeah, I've only been to Korea once and it was when I was 12. And it was mostly just because in Korea or I guess any other country that's not the U.S., healthcare is really cheap. So we kind of turned it into a medical checkup trip for my mom and my brother and I. And my aunt at the time was still living in Seoul, so we were staying with her. But now most of my mom's side of the family has moved to America, so I think that's a big reason why we haven't visited as often. And my plans also got ruined because of COVID, but as my brother's high school graduation trip this summer and as like a little family trip, we were going to go to Korea and I was going to meet my dad's siblings for the first time ever and he was going to be reunited with them after, I think, 25 years or more, maybe. Mm -hmm. So my brother, he's going to be a film major at the University of Texas at Austin. And we were planning to do some sort of documentary to show what it's like to be an immigrant and be separated from your family for so long and what the reunion feels like. But hopefully we get to do that maybe next year once there's a vaccine and other countries want Americans to come visit. But yeah, like I definitely am longing to return back to the motherland and experience what it's like to be there. Yeah, I am definitely in the same boat. And to all the listeners out there, it's never too late to learn more about your culture. Feel free to join us on our own journey of rediscovering our culture and what it means to be Asian American. So that is our cue to transition to a segment called Takeout Time, which is random rapid fire questions that we throw at each other. So first one up, ramen or pho? I'm a ramen girl. Ooh, I'm, I'm ramen too. I say pho because it's, it's like lighter. I don't know. Okay. Dumplings or shaolong bao? Can you explain what shaolong bao is to me? Oh, it's the soup dumplings. Guys, I'm so sorry. I just call them soup dumplings. We need a, we need a culture Jojo. <laughs> I'm going to say shaolong bao. Me too. I forgot Jojo. I didn't know. It's like, you know, we always go to Joe's Shanghai or whatever and we would get soup dumplings. I literally just say pork soup dumplings. I don't say pork shaolong bao or anything. Fun fact, my first date with Jackie, we ate shaolong bao. <laughs> we did. That was very good. <laughs> that was really good, yeah. It was free. Where did you guys go? We went to three times NYC. Yeah. Because there was like a BOGO deal and JoJo were like, ooh, free, free shaolong bao. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, next one up. What is your top favorite Asian place in New York City to go eat at? What is your go-to spot in New York? Oh, man. Ooh, that's a good one. I think for me, my God, I've been away from New York for too long. What is the name of that restaurant? It's the one on 35th, right across the street from my apartment, and it's amazing with the kimchi cream udon noodles. I'm going to phone a friend. Izakaya Mew. Yes, yes, yes. Wait, that place is bomb, too. Yeah, Izakaya Mew. So bomb. Kimchi cream udon, the karage, the sushi is okay. I really just go for the kimchi cream udon. Yeah. 
Mine is Thursday Kitchen, I think. It's Korean fusion. Oh, I haven't been yet. Oh, I must take you. It's my one of my top five. My favorite dish there by far is the kimchi paella. Okay, last question to wrap it up. Sake or soju? Soju. Soju. I keep sake. You're right, soju. That's all for this segment. We'll be doing this more in the future with just some random questions, but we hope you guys stay tuned for our next episode. Make sure to follow us at Asian Glow Up Pod on Instagram.